one. Only one week to go until the fantasy playoffs and run blocking with your 165 pound wide receiver is in vogue. This Pat Fryer Helmo. <laughs> Anita Hanjob. Fix your sight. Jamar. Alpha play chase. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Canarius Tony? You can't handle the heat. It looks like we're finally at this point. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Sacrilege. We're off to a bad start. I got the fast There was like this pause, and I was like, is that that it? I should have let it breathe more. (laughs) <laughs> just going for the dramatic pause, Pete. I've, I've learned from the best, man. <laughs> I do want to say, I, I said I was going to keep the show a little tighter tonight. I didn't mean to make it that tight to where I'm cutting off your cold opens. I apologize. No, I mean, we got we to gotta shave the seconds where we can. That was, that was tactical. Uh, as you guys probably saw in the uh, Discord and on Twitter, uh, Dricko, and I know he mentioned this last week, he is traveling uh, this week. So Gretch and I are subbing in to be sacrilegious as co-pilots on this week 14 edition of Stat Chasing. Uh, Gretch, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I just finished uh, Stealing Signals a few minutes ago, hours, I don't know, an hour ago. I don't know. Time never really makes any sense for me on Mondays and Tuesdays, but uh, have been in the lab looking at a lot of numbers, excited to chat about it. Awesome. Sacrilegious, why don't you set the table for us further? What are we going to be uh, doing here tonight? Uh, well, I mean, first we're going to go through the quarterback chart per usual. If you want to pull that one up, I'll go ahead and uh, introduce it to the people in case you got any first time listeners joining us here in week 13. Uh, so this, this chart is our quarterback chart. It's showing rushing and rushing production and passing efficiency for each quarterback. So the size of the bubble is how much rushing a quarterback is adding uh, measured in yards per game. And you can see our little legend bubble. It's a pink one up in the top left-hand corner. If a quarterback's got a bubble that size, they're rushing for 100 yards a game. Uh, And then on the x-axis, we've got their adjusted yards per attempt. Y-axis is their TD rate. Uh, ideally for fantasy, we want quarterbacks with big bubbles in the top right-hand quadrant. And uh, we aren't really as excited about guys in the bottom left-hand quadrant. The only caveat to that, I would say, is we also want to be considering the volume that each quarterback has. Uh, but that is the chart in a nutshell. What about what is this 100-yard uh, rushing yards a game bubble in the upper left quadrant? Yeah, that's just the legend to show like a size reference. So, for example, if you see uh, Justin Fields, you know, he's he's like about 60 percent of the volume of that. One. I love Baker Mayfield's in the middle. He's just a little dot in the middle of Justin Fields big circle. Yeah, look at uh, look at Joe Flacco. He's like the tiniest dot you could have. Uh, he doesn't even have like a dot. It's it's nothing. He's like Pluto. He's going to get recategorized as a planet here if he uh, if he keeps this up. <laughs> um, so what what stood out to you? Obviously, we do have. It seems like every week we have a ton of reshuffling at the quarterback position. Uh, um, what what jumped out to you from week thirteen? Yeah, it's just kind of it's it's more of the same. It's pretty stable at this point. Um, we did finally get a game from Geno that was valuable for fantasy, and so he he moved just a little bit in the favorable direction. Russ has been kind of coming back down to earth a little bit uh, more and more. It's If you look at the charts week over week, he's like slowly, slowly trending back towards the middle 
and he was kind of an outlier in TD rate and a, a little bit higher in yards per attempt. Those are really the big ones. Um, I mean, I, I don't know how many times I have to say this, but Brock Purdy just continues to bury me. Like, it's going to be all-time worst take of mine. Um, but yeah, Brock Purdy is going full God mode. And, like, he's actually the favorite for the MVP, which is ridiculous, but it is what it is. <laughs> I'm with you on that. I, I mean, Debo had one air yard and had four catches for over 100 yards and two touchdowns. <laughs> Insane. <laughs> Uh, it's a pretty big help to it. Like he still had, you know, 300 plus and four TDs, but it's a pretty big help to have a hundred yard receiver with two TDs and you gave him one air yard. Like, I mean, it's wild. Oh, uh, one thing I would say about this chart, uh, important obviously to think about is that, that they are rate stats. So you're talking about Russell Wilson looks awesome, but I was just trying to pull up his actual like attempts per game. Cause one of the things that I've mentioned a lot over at Stone Signals is how much of that offense flows through their running backs. He actually threw a decent amount. Or I mean, Cortland Sutton had a bunch of air yards in this this past week, season high by like over a hundred. Um, but he's efficient, but in an offense that is solo volume. That you know, when you look at him per attempt, you don't want to get that mix. It's different than uh, like a Dak Prescott, who's a little bit to his right, is a lot more attempts, right? And but also efficient. Yeah, exactly. And I think Dricko and I have discussed uh, ways we can doctor this chart up for next season to mm -hmm. kind of mix attempts in there or, or mix some type of volume measurement in there uh, to have this chart be more one to one with these are the best guys you want for fantasy while still being able to show some of the underlying metrics that matter. I think this is pretty good, but we we're really missing that volume part of the equation, which is pretty important for fantasy football. So looking at the the good quadrant here, you know, a lot of these guys, everyone, you're firing up Brock Purdy against the Seahawks, you're firing up Tua against the Titans, Dak against the Eagles. The big one this week is what do you do with C.J. Stroud against the Texans? You lose Tank Dell. Texans been a really good pass defense. We did a goal line stand uh, on the club uh, show just a bit ago, and he slid almost to the very last pick C.J. Stroud did there. So what are we doing with C.J. Stroud in week 14, Sacrilegious? I mean, I don't think you have a better option. I mean, if you have a better option than CJ Stroud, I, I guess you start him, but he's leading the league in passing yards. Like this guy is, he's not just like good for a rookie. He's like one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL right now. And I, I had felt like that was a hot take when I was saying it earlier this season, but it's like, he is, <laughs> the proof is in the pudding, man. This guy is the truth. Gretch, you have any concern uh, about him putting up QB one numbers this week? No, I would. I mean, I guess yes, in the sense that Tank Dell's out. Uh, we don't know where Dalton Schultz is going to be. He is starting to lose guys, but he has already shown an ability to elevate. I would say that he's pretty matchup proof at this point. Just to echo Sacrilegious' thoughts there. I mean, he's looked like a veteran, and I mean, I, what's so shocking is that it's not a great landscape right now for passing defenses. Do have a little bit of the upper hand in the you know the multi-year ebb and flow of the nfl and the fact that he's been able to come in be a vertical passer attack down the field consistently to a lot of different receivers he's made noah brown look relevant he's made you know nico collins has been very good as well but as soon as tank dell goes out he has another real spike game he's been kind of taking a back seat to tank dell for a while i'm not really that concerned about cj stroud's ability to elevate whoever's catching passes from him and i'm not really worried about the matchup either 
Are there any guys, uh, you know, one thing that kind of jumped out to me when I was just looking at the slate is you have some of these quarterbacks in the wrong quadrant that actually have decent matchups. I mean, Desmond Ritter at home versus this Bucks secondary. I think you could maybe say Baker on the other side of it. Are there any of these vomit QBs that you would entertain this week because you're either seeing something from the efficiency or just liking the matchup? I mean, Gardner Minshew is, is like, he's always live to to get a little weird and uh you know chuck it to michael Pittman. he's he's been good had some deep connections to alec pierce this last week didn't even need to use josh downs who's looked really good um so that's that's one that could be interesting i did just notice i don't believe i've got a jake browning dot on the chart he may oh not, yeah may not he broke the chart yeah he's he, off he, the chart he broke the chart he, he looked he looked great man i was uh i was super happy I, I always get excited for guys like that that get an opportunity and then show out so yeah i mean i'd, I'd roll the dice on some jake browning this week too he had the lowest average throw depth of any decent amount of volume 4.5 air yards per attempt he did make some good throws down the field some of that was that some of us behind the line design stuff were like swings and screens. I thought it was really good coaching uh, from Zach Taylor to set him up with a lot of short passes early, get him going, get him in a rhythm. But there was those stats we saw over Twitter. Like he was the only the 10th quarterback ever to have 85% completion percentage at 350 yards in a game. That's because usually if you have an 85% completion percentage, very hard to do. It's at a very low A dot. He did have that very low A dot. They just hit on a lot of yak. It's kind of a Brock Purdy situation, right? You had Jamar Chase adding a ton of yak. You had uh, a screen to Joe Mixon go off. The deep pass to Chase to me was a little like the defender like turned to look right as the ball went over his head. A little bit fortunate, kind of underthrown. Goes for a 70-yard TD. Some of that stuff. But but Browning clearly played well. Clearly played better than like the bottom 10 quarterbacks have been playing all season in the league. We have a lot of QBs that aren't doing particularly well. I think you can definitely take a shot on him. I would be a little concerned about how good his numbers were last year relative to what I just described and a lot of it being underneath and a lot of yak. But, I mean, you got Jamar Chase. You could get yak in this offense. I had a I had a question for you about the way that that game played out and how they dialed up the different calls for Browning. So early in the game, there's everything was at or behind the line of scrimmage, basically, right? Then it was like once he got in, I think it was like after pass attempt eight or something, it felt like they consistently attacked downfield then for a good stretch. And then they went back. It, it was like they didn't know how to mix it. You know, they didn't know how to let's sometimes do the short stuff and sometimes attack downfield. It was like we're either all downfield or we're all short. Am I, I mean, I might have just been tilting because I was sweating that for showdown, but uh, <laughs> it, was that an accurate assessment of how that game flow went? A little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think um, the way that I would say it, or, or that I saw it was like it was clear early they were getting him into a rhythm, getting him short passes, had a lot of interesting short concepts, and then let him kind of build into turning it loose downfield. I'm not really sure why it went back to some of the short stuff as you're describing, but they did at least turn him loose and let him throw downfield a little. He had some nice passes in the intermediate range, like some some of uh, like Higgins only had like three catches, but some of the stuff to Higgins was, you know, some nice little, like, square ends, 15 yards downfield. They were, like, good throws. I mean, I'm a UW guy. I had been talking about I didn't think Jake Browning was going to be very good. He wasn't very good at UW. I actually just saw Mina Kimes get dunked on by uh, Ryan Leaf today on Twitter, uh, a fun little Madlib, because she – I didn't know this, but she had also been saying as a UW fan um, 
that she was not optimistic about Jake Browning. I mean, I think anyone, I, I, one of the things I wrote in signals was uh, I talked to a few of my friends and I was like, just checking with you guys. Like you guys have any optimism for Jake Browning? Do you remember him differently than I do? No one, no one did. It was universal. Like anyone who watched him a lot in college didn't really think very highly of him, but he's four years removed from that. Part of it was he didn't have the arm strength. Didn't really have like a big build. He looks stronger to me. Like he's actually maybe put on a little bit of muscle and strength in four years. And that's like a big part of it for him because he was always pretty accurate. Um, anyway, I mean, I, I I think Zach Taylor had a pretty good game plan to start him with the short stuff and then work downfield. I'm I'm hopeful that he can be decent, but um, yeah, I don't know. He's a tough one. It's a, it's been a, a very small sample. The other thing I had a note on him with the short passing and the high completion. I'm sorry, I'm going on Browning for so long, but Jacksonville had a game last year. And it drove me nuts. I wrote about this in Signals last year. They went to Indianapolis. The book on Matt Ryan was he was noodle-armed, couldn't beat you downfield. And they just played soft zone, and they let him throw underneath the whole game. Completed 42 of 58 passes. It went down as his last 300-yard game of his career. It was one of the last wins of his career. Uh, It was just a maddening game plan. They have the same defensive coordinator this year. That's what I was remembering watching Monday football. Is like, why is Jacksonville just setting back and not making him beat them down the field a little bit? He completes 85% of his passes underneath. I'm a little bit worried. That's the other reason I'm a little bit worried about regression on him next week is like Jacksonville did this against the Colts last year where they just like let a quarterback who couldn't beat him downfield beat him underneath. If another defense takes that away and challenges Brown to beat downfield, can he consistently do that? Because arm strength is the concern with him. Zach, do you have any takes on Gino? I feel like he might actually be a decision point for people. Say you got Sam Howell on by some of these guys and you're looking at Gino. Can you trust what you saw from him on Thursday night now going against this tough 49ers team again? I mean, I'd prefer not to have to trust it. <laughs> I just, I when I, the thing that crystallized my opinion of Gino for the rest of the season, that's probably a bad way to do analysis is like, I've decided now that this is how it is. But the thing that really squared it for me for how to look at the Seahawks offense and Gino was when they played the commanders who we've seen is just, they're a putrid pass defense, right? Like everyone gets home against the commanders and man, the Seahawks looked like they were, I mean, he still managed to throw for 300 yards in that game. But it took them quite a bit to get to that 300, and it wasn't pretty. And so I don't know, man. I Maybe maybe they involve JSN a little bit more and get some quicker stuff, and, and that's how they're able to hang with the 49ers. I mean, you know, we know that they're going to get pushed, and they should have to pass. But if you've got a better option, uh, here, here's a good one for you. You want Jordan Love on Monday night against the Giants, or you want Geno Smith against the 49ers? I'm Jordan Love pilled, so I, I'm taking Jordan Love there. What about you, Gretch? I think I probably would too. I also it's just a, Love pilled. So. A, a much, <laughs> much better matchup, and he's been uh, performing really well too. But I mean, Christian Watson probably going to miss that game, right? Not great. yeah, yeah. It's not great, but man, I I've been impressed with some of those other guys. You know, stepping up like Dobbs has just been rock solid really in the red zone. I mean, Reed is just a total playmaker. And then Dontavian Wicks has even flashed. Kraft doesn't look like that big of a downgrade from Luke Musgrave. I don't know if that's a bad take. I mean, he seems fine to me. So I don't know. I still have some hope for this offense. I I think that's a fine take on Kraft. Kraft was a a great prospect coming out. Like I I always thought that it could easily be 
Kraft or Musgrave emerging as their number one tight end in the long term there. I mean, obviously with the edge to Musgrave just because of the draft capital, but they're not all that different as far as their prospect profiles. And Musgrave hasn't been great. I was literally going to go, I think that's a fine take. <laughs> you said they like you said what I was in my head. It's great. Uh, any other final thoughts on this chart? I'm trying to think of other kind of decision points. Um, some of it will like more tie in with the receivers. Like I feel like no one wants to play Joe Flacco, but maybe they'll entertain playing Elijah Moore this week. We could maybe save that conversation. Anything else here for you, Sacrilegious, before we move on? No, I think that's about it. it the, these guys, they kind of are what they are at this point. We've, we've talked them to death. Yep. I, um, yeah, let's uh, let's move to the next chart here. Running backs, tell the people what they're seeing on the screen here. So this is the first of our running back charts. This one is about the usage for the running backs. Um, so for each bar, you've got different colors in there. The green is representing the percentage of their team rush attempts. The yellow is representing the routes. Uh, the light blue is representing their pass blocking snaps. And gray is their run blocking snaps. We really don't care about those. Those aren't super valuable. But all the other colors we really like. And then the x-axis is the overall percentage of snaps, with the y-axis being each of the running backs. And this first chart is only for guys with greater than 40% of the routes and rush attempts. All right, we definitely have uh, a familiar face at the top in Christian McCaffrey. That's uh, surprising to no one. Uh, Rashad White, man, is is this, if I'm reading this chart right, it is saying that Rashad White has the second best role in fantasy football for running backs, at least in uh, in week 13? Yep, exactly. And this is, uh, sorry, I, I missed the, uh, the part of this chart where this is a rolling four-week average. Okay. Um, because as the, the season changes, these roles can kind of change, uh, specifically for running backs and tight ends. We do the rolling four-week average. For wide receivers, it's it's much more consistent. Um, but yeah, that is to say, over the last four weeks, Christian McCaffrey, Rashad White, they basically have the same role. The only difference is that one of them is Christian McCaffrey. And this looks like it's not, <clears throat> it's not snor- sorted by total snap percentage, but it's sorted by rush attempts plus routes. You're kind of you mentioned this removing some of the, the blocking stuff is just sort of like like saquon shoots out higher where he's at like you know six or eight names down but it's it's sorted by the rush times and routes which is what we want so white is the guy that is getting the good the combination of of rush attempts and running plenty of routes which which we know the four-week average thing is interesting because even like zach moss at the bottom of this i, I notice it's it's he had a 94% snap share, I think it was this week. I mean, he was right back to the early season monster role. Um, so some of the guys, the four-week average might not necessarily even be the right number for. We got we to gotta be a little considerate of. Yeah, absolutely good point. So for guys like Zach Moss or there's, a, there's another one little pop-up on the efficiency charts that I'll get to. Um, but some of these guys, we do want to consider the context of their usage. You know, were, did they miss time due to injury or did their role change because of an injury ahead of them, et cetera. Um, and then just to touch on the the bit about Saquon, where, you know, he, he's basically on the field for the same number of snaps almost as Christian McCaffrey and Rashad White. The large amount of pass blocking he's doing, we definitely don't want to consider as a negative because the fact that he's out there for those passing downs 
is good for us. That means that he's, you know, he's probably going to be the guy that's out there for the long down and distance stuff. He's out there for the two minute and that's where you can really rack up the high value touches. So I'm not even sad to see my running back out there for pass blocking. Really. I don't want him out there for run blocking, um, but that's, that's about it. I don't know if this is the one you were hinting at that we would see on the efficiency chart, but one that jumped out to me as far as a rushing attempts flipping this week was Damian Pierce leading the Texans backfield over uh, Devin Singletary. Do you think there is maybe some noise in the four week rolling for Singletary with Pierce back? Yeah, I think that one's hard to parse because it seemed like they really liked Singletary. And I mean, I would be doing a disservice to my usual co-host, Draco, if I didn't stand for Singletary here a little <laughs> bit. Um, but yeah, I think what it looked like to me from watching the game is they really liked Pierce on the goal line, um, which probably makes it so neither of those backs is super useful, right? You're going to get Singletary, who looks like he's still going to be the guy getting a good amount of the passing game usage, probably the two-minute long down and distance stuff as well. And then you're going to give the goal line touches over to Pierce. So I don't know if that's a, if that would be your read on the situation, Ben, but that was how I felt about it. I think that's a good read. There was a to Pete's initial question, a, a pretty material shift in how I would view Singletary this past week. If you just look at his snap shares the last five weeks, 75%, 81%, 85%, 82%, 46% last week. So pretty big drop off. He still led the team. They also got a Goomba Wale in, involved as the the third running back. As you mentioned, you know, Pierce got the 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 green zone looks, the short area stuff, which was not great but also just the, the general snap drop-off that I just described. Um, pretty clear shift that they tried to get Pierce back involved. Now I will note, and I you know I, I think the efficiency stuff is under-discussed with running back usage. Pierce gets 15 carries and goes for 41 yards in this game. He averages like 2.7 yards per carry, whatever that is. Singletary gets eight carries, 36 yards, four and a half yards per carry again. I mean, he, he was efficient on his touches. Pierce was not. So whether this sticks – is not necessarily like I, I wouldn't say I'm confident that they're going to keep giving Pierce twice as many carries as Singletary and letting him cut in. If if you know Singletary's gaining as many yards as him on half as many carries, like why like why would that stick that direction? You know, so it's a it's a fluid situation, is what I would say. Let me ask you, Sack, about uh, Bijan Robinson starting to notice a lot of enthusiasm for him. Do you think his role has? meaningfully uh changed or is a rug pull still in the cards from arthur smith at some point trying to predict what arthur smith is going to do is a fool's errand and i've all i've been burned by that <laughs> multiple times this season but i mean if i had to if i had to bet on it i'm i'm more confident in Bijan's usage and role going forward than i was say you know six eight weeks ago but i i always am uh, a little gun shy with trying to divine what Arthur Smith is cooking up. Uh, what about one guy I want to ask you both about Gretch. What are you thinking about Brees Hall right now? Because his receiving role has been pretty good, still running the routes, but you look at his, you know, just pure rushing numbers and it has not been, you know, the explosive plays we all thought we were signing up for. Yeah. I mean, my concern is almost purely on the quarterbacks. I don't, pretend to like know the exact scheme stuff and everything on how they're being played. But I assume that he's, I haven't looked at like the 
light box, heavy box stuff recently, but I assume that he's seeing some difficult fronts to run against. Now, again, I just mentioned the, the efficiency stuff and it doesn't just relate to, you know, players that I, that I like, but I can't just make the, the, the point one direction. He had 13 carries for 16 yards last week. Dalvin cook nine for 35, significantly better. So I don't know what's going on with hall with that stuff right now. Um, I, I do think the lack of a threat passing isn't helping anything. Um, but yeah, I, I would still be like the 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 recent trend of him not rushing well. I I mean, and if you, especially if you tie it to the quarterback, I don't know that you can be confident. They don't even know who their quarterback is this week. Is where I'm going with this. Like they don't know what they're doing. They they just cut Tim Boyle today. They finally signed a, a practice squad quarterback, but the one they chose was Brett Rippon. They keep choosing these players that every that all all we have is a terrible NFL sample. Like they've played some in the NFL and it's been bad. And so we should probably not try those guys. Like I've been arguing all year, the Jets should be trying to go for players we haven't seen anything from yet. Like Nathan Rourke was one I was talking about early on. Um, Jake Browning fits into that. We hadn't seen him play yet in the NFL until this year. He winds up playing pretty well pretty early on in his career. Or if they wanted to, going to one of the veterans that at least could give you like a Joe Flacco type presence. Uh, instead, they've been just grabbing all these guys that we have a little bit of a sample on. And they've been terrible. Tim Boyle, Trevor Simeon, and now Brett Rippon. Anyway, there, there's no real optimism for their offense with the quarterbacks that they're bringing in. They don't. This is it's a zoo. So I don't know how you can really expect Hall to do much better other than just blind faith in his talent, which I do have, and I still want to play him. But in terms of like you know battle royales and those things, would I be proactively like picking him? I probably not. I don't know that there's like a real reason to expect the explosiveness to hit at any given time other than the fact that he's Brees Hall. So it's tricky. I, I, I was the guy drafting him uh, over and over last week in battle Royales. I was just, you know, looking at projections relative to how often he was getting drafted, which was never, I was like, man, Brees, it's Brees Hall. This looks pretty good. If you drop <laughs> 25 burger, uh, that was not in the cards. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of these other situations here that are interesting. Uh, on last night, it seemed like the Bengals were going to start to use Chase Brown a lot. Like early on, they were using him. He ended up finishing with how many rush attempts? Nine rush attempts. But Joe Mixon still kind of held him off with 19 rush attempts. Do you think, uh, Sack, we're seeing maybe a slight, uh, I don't know, changing of the guard, tilting of the scales there in Cincinnati? I mean, leave it to the Bengals to wait until now to use Chase Brown. Like when Chase Brown looks that good, you know he's got to at least look something like that in practice right like nah we don't need any of this like <laughs> so i i was that was frustrating more than anything i mean i'm i'm sitting with a good amount of uh chase brown big board bags but uh he he looked good enough that i don't think it's a full uh, genie out of the bottle situation where they they won't be able to keep him off the field but i certainly think that he earned himself more opportunity going forward um he he just he looked good enough that you can't you can't just rule them out now i i agree i wrote him up as a one of the good one of the best stashes of this week going towards the fantasy playoffs i mean it's kind of a lost season for the Bengals too they restructured mixing at the beginning of the year they might be at some point willing to just like let brown take over and see what they have in this guy going forward this looks like that type of year for the Bengals at this point right i mean they did get this big win over the jags they're six and six now but 
if they lose the next couple of weeks, say, you know, and then you go into week, uh, what is it, like 16-ish and you're six and eight, like maybe they just turn to, to Jace Brown at that point. Only played 11 snaps in this game. Got the nine carries, but only 11 snaps. Joe Mixon's snap share was still very solid. Not not really uh, a big shift in terms of overall playing time. It is nice to see him get the nine carries on the 11 snaps. When they put him out there, they wanted to give him the ball. It was kind of like the old Tony Pollard thing when uh, he was playing behind Zeke. It was like every time Tony Pollard would come on the field, he touched the ball. Uh, but yeah, not like he was running a lot of routes or anything like that. Just didn't actually play that much. But he looked great. I, I have a question about the Dolphins' backfield, but I'm guessing it might uh, be better on the efficiency chart. Is there anything here, sacrilegious, we should hit on before we check out the next running back chart? No, let's move to the next chart. There's a couple things on the efficiency charts I think we'll get into. Uh, so this is just the backup chart. This is for oh, guys gotcha. between 25 and 40% of routes and rush attempts. Uh, one that we want to highlight here, actually there's a couple that are worth highlighting. Got Antonio Gibson, who should see a decent role increase, um, but it also could go to Chris Rodriguez now that you've got uh, Brian Robinson out. Uh, not sure exactly how much time he's going to miss with a hamstring injury, but uh, Antonio Gibson and Chris Rodriguez both become interesting stashes there. Um, Tajay Spears also got, what was it, 20, 20 opportunities? Uh, so that's... That's exciting for anyone that's holding on to Tajay Spears. Um, I believe that Henry is not in concussion protocol, though, so it seems like he'll be good to play. But you never know um, with with this concussion stuff. Who knows? Maybe later in the week. Uh, you know that one. Just as it is, like I, I I was rewatching the clip of him where I assumed he got concussed. Um, looked like an awful hit, and then apparently. Derrick Henry is the big dog and can emerge from the concussion protocol in less than 24 hours. Like I thought the whole thing with the protocol was there were certain like benchmarks that spanned like days, not hours, but the big dog transcends all protocol. He's in dog years. Yeah. Uh, you have to have like an official, I think what they're saying is like he had concussion symptoms, but didn't officially get okay. diagnosed with a concussion or, you know, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, we although got, uh, it, you talk about the clip, like he looks stiff as a board for a, a moment during that clip. I mean, it's not it's not a great look. Yeah, historical anomalies bringing up a couple intro other situations. <clears throat> you mentioned the Chris Rodriguez Gibson behind B Rob. Mentioned the big dog uh, Thursday night. Uh, Going to be one of the games of the century. Uh, the Patriots will not have Ramondre Servison uh, Stevenson services available. He's going to be out for multiple weeks. Uh, do you have anything nice to say about Zeke Elliott, uh, bell cow workload here? I mean, he's looked not explosive, but like <laughs> functional, you know, like he's, he's getting the hard yard still. Uh, I'll, I'll say this about Zeke, my, my former cowboy. Um, the guy has, has never been lacking effort on the field. So, I mean, you're going to get what 18, 20 opportunities here for, 50 to 60 yards and maybe he falls in the end zone. Right. And you're just, you're hoping that some of those opportunities are receptions. So you can get some PPR love in there, but yeah. I, I've never, I've never been a huge Zeke guy. I have written a little bit this year that um, 
like or at one point I wrote that he reminds me a little bit of late stage like Frank Gore where I mean he at least does get downhill and he he's kind of I mean it's not like it's efficient or anything but it's not a lot of wasted movement as a runner you know like he just goes where he should go even though he's not going there particularly fast but one note I will say about him after Stevenson leaves and Stevenson only plays 17 snaps 27% of the snaps in this game Elliott plays almost the entire rest of the game, 69% of the snaps. Nice. Uh, Ty Montgomery was the backup RB, only played three snaps. So you did get like 100% workload upside with Zeke. And that, I mean, you get like Zach Moss over, you know, with the Colts, what they did. I think you might see a 90% snap share with Zeke this week. That's, I mean, even if he's only averaging 3.5 yards a carry, to your point about the receptions, I think they're there if he's playing 90% of it. I mean, but Ty Montgomery might play some of the routes, so it'll be interesting. But that is the ceiling, I think, is that he could he could run a lot of the routes. He wound up with four catches for 40 yards in this game. So what I'm hearing about is this? Captain oh, Zeke Elliott for all the money? <laughs> yeah, maybe, man, maybe. Well, how about this? Uh, just to kind of benchmark things for us, as Chris G uh, wants to get a little early preview of our Shipcast Pick'em entry card. He wants to know if we're going all lowers. I did just check the Underdog Pick'em uh, lobby. Let me know where you guys are at on this one. High or lower, they have it set at Zeke 59 and a half rushing yards. I'm taking higher. Ooh. I think he's going to get 20 carries in this game. I think it's going to be a close, low-scoring game, and they're going to keep pounding it. He got 17 this week. He only ran for 52 yards. But, like, if you're going to get 20 carries in a game, because Ramondre had not, and he still got 17. They ran 26 times. I think they're going to run enough times that he's going to get 20. All he has to average is three yards per carry to go over 59 and a half. I mean, I wouldn't put it past him to not do that, to go, like, 22 for 50. But I would I would like to think he could average three yards per carry on that workload. There, just to also give you a further preview of that game, circling back to the uh, two guys who weren't on the chart, Bailey Zappi, 161 and a half passing yards, higher or lower. Mitch Trubisky, 183 and a half passing yards, higher or lower. That's what we're in. So gross. On Thursday night. Uh, but I, I need to tease it better. You know, the ship cast will still be there. Uh, our guest, Nez, another dog bowl qualifier, uh, will be joining us in the second quarter for that one. And we will see if we can make that game entertaining. Uh the one I wanted to ask you guys about, because I did think it's maybe not super actionable because you're starting Raheem Mostert and Devon Achan no matter what, but I did think like the overall, you know, snaps attempts was interesting in that Devon Achan led the backfield, but a lot of it was in the second half when the game was out of hand. I'm curious how you guys interpreted that. Is Achan just going to rush back and take over this backfield now going forward, or was that noisy because of the game script? I, I had it as um, positive for both Mostert and Achan. Mostert only had two touches in the second half. It was the first two snaps, and then they sat him down. I don't think they're, like, really coming for his workload. It was because they were in a blowout, and they're like, you know, we're going to sit you down. But I also think it was very positive for Achan in the sense that, number one, they didn't use another back. So they gave Achan most of the whole second half um, and didn't use anyone else. Really. Jeff Wilson barely played. It wasn't – I mean – and so then number two, I think the reason they did that in garbage time was that he's healthy enough that they wanted to like get it, get a sea legs under him a little bit, like an extended. It's like in, in base, we don't hear like extended preseason in football, but in baseball, when guys have a long time, uh, long time on the injured list, they go to extended spring training, right? And they they warm up, uh, you know, some some simulation games. They get ready to get back into to full full playing every day. I feel like they treated that second half like extended preseason 
for HN. Wanted to get him some reps, wanted to get him some hits, get him feeling good. Um, so I, I do think it's going to be a two-back backfield was key, that they didn't use Wilson, even though they sat Mostert down. It was all HN in the second half until the very last drive. Wilson got four carries on the very, very last drive. And they also uh, seem to think HN is healthy enough that it was okay to risk him in, in kind of a blowout. So I took that as a, a pretty big positive for both guys, for Mostert and HN. Are you there sacrilegious as well? Similar take? Yeah. Yeah. I, I felt like it was good news for both. Um, I, I don't really know who the third is to stash there. If it is Jeff Wilson uh, or if you go, you know, with, with one of the deeper guys, um, I guess it's probably Jeff Wilson. But I I feel like that's a backfield where I'm, I'm willing to stash the third guy just because we've seen how valuable that backfield is. And we know that both of the guys in front, you know, Mostert is an older player, always has dealt with injuries and, you know, HN has, has had his own injuries this season. So I definitely think it's important to be stashing someone there. If you've got space on the end of your roster. One other one, uh, I know you, I always like uh, getting your, uh, your Ravens takes on this show. You always come with some strong Lamar Jackson, love what do you think about this backfield i know all of us are probably collectively wish casting uh more keaton mitchell touches coming off nine attempts last week to gus edwards eight could we see him start to become the 1a in this backfield i don't think you're gonna get like a 1a ever out of him just just for you know size reasons but i think he could be what i was praying that justice hill would be which is <laughs> like the satellite back plus gets the explosive stuff, you know, gets the majority of the high value touches. And the thing, so early, early in the season, first game when Dobbins got injured, right after he gets injured, now, you know, granted this might've just been because they were like, oh shit, Dobbins is out. What do we do now? Um, Justice Hill did get a bunch of green zone opportunities. He actually got a couple with Dobbins still healthy. So I don't think that they're 100% set on every green zone touch has to be a run up the middle power run to Gus Edwards. I think there's still a chance that Keaton Mitchell could potentially sneak some of those away. And if he even adds like one or two green zone touches with how good this offense is and how explosive he is and, and just the ability to deliver, you know, big chunk plays as well, that could be an extremely valuable player down the stretch and, and definitely a guy that's interesting for playoff best ball. I'll note that he started that game before the bye. Uh, I agree with everything you just said. The only other thing I would also add is you said uh, <clears throat> we're hoping for him to be sort of what you wanted Justice Hill to be. For me, it's also what I was hoping J.K. Dobbins was going to be coming into the year, which is very similar. I was kind of hoping Justice Hill could fill that role a little bit. But it, it seems to me like they are viewing Keaton Mitchell as their starter, as their maybe J.K. Dobbins, which they didn't ever seem to really commit to Hill as being that guy. But this dynamic, efficiency, playmaker, explosive play guy, probably not quite on the level of J.K. Dobbins because he's not, like you said, the, the same type of size back. But, um, yeah, I agree with all that. Got to be bullish on him. Sacrilegious. I know you're going to save most of your playoff best ball uh, takes for over on Legendary Upside. Listen to your guys' uh, kickoff pod uh, yesterday. Enjoyed that. Uh, who do you take? Last I checked for, like, Right back to back, Gus Edwards, Keith Mitchell. Who is the selection? You're forced to choose one and acknowledge that. Porque no los dos. I, I just said if you're forced to choose one. Oh, if I'm forced to choose, uh, God, 
It, it depends on my roster construction. Um, I guess to get more into it, if I have Lamar, I'd probably be more prone to want to take Gus Edwards because I think the negative correlation will be slightly higher with Gus and Lamar because so much of Gus's production should be derived from touchdowns. And I think Keaton Mitchell could deliver fantasy relevant games without having to score a touchdown. Um, And also he should have some more positive correlation to Lamar with the passing game. He'll still be like very, very slightly negatively correlated to him, I think at the ceiling outcomes, but yeah, so it'd be, Gus, if I have Lamar, and then Keaton, if I don't have Lamar. Yeah, I, I mean, that checks out to me so much. It, it's The playoff contest is such a mindfuck because you could also get the ping-ponging effect, right? Where Gus gets you one week, Lamar carries you another. You know, like, you could definitely make arguments for both. And I assume that's why you said uh, you wouldn't even have any problem with just taking both of them in a draft. Yeah, I, I definitely, I already have teams where I've had both, so. There you go. Uh, any other backup running back takes for you guys here? Did you guys, any of you guys have a note on the bears backfield? Obviously Deontay Foreman missed that last game. We get Khalil Herbert back. Is that just a mess when all three are active or do you see one guy kind of climbing to the top eventually? Seems like they like Roshan quite a bit. So that's, I mean, if you're going to make a bet, I think you make a bet on Roshan just because he's the rookie and young and potentially ascending and and he looks he has a profile where he can do it all where Deonta Foreman I mean he did show that he can do it in the passing game um you know he 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 is just fine in the passing game in in his big explosive weeks but uh I mean they they clearly prefer Roshan in the passing game Khalil Herbert's definitely not the back they want to use in the passing game and Roshan's a little bit bigger bodied uh you know than Khalil Herbert is so I think I lean Roshan if I have to bet on one, but that's more to try and capture like the best possible outcome. It's not the one that I think is necessarily the highest probability outcome. Does that make sense? I think that's put perfectly well. I would just add with five weeks left, I do think that, and you are alluding to this heavily, the most likely outcome is that no one really captures anything and that it is a little bit of like what we call hot hand, but it's not, I don't think it's going to be explicitly that, but essentially all three backs have done enough, right? Again, to get back to the, to the part where we don't necessarily use efficiency well enough. None of these guys is going to get benched if healthy completely taken out of the, out of the game plan. Cause it's not like they've been bad when they've been out there. And so, you know, one week it could be all Roshan and look great, but there's not really enough time left in the season with five games left for like him to, to really capture it. I think like the next week it would swing back and they'd want to get Herbert more involved or Deontay more involved. Then those guys would have to fail and then maybe Roshan could take it over. But like, it's, it's, it's not enough weeks for a three man committee where they're all pretty decent for it to, to parse out positively, or at least that would be my, my uh, you know view of it. But I completely agree with the way you said, if someone does win out, it seems like it's probably Roshan for the reasons that we talked about with, with Chase Brown, you want to see what you have with this young, you know, rookie back. Let's see. Uh, sacrilegious. Anything else on this chart before we move to expected fantasy points and efficiency for running backs? I think we're good to move on to efficiency. All right. Let the people know what we got going on this chart. So this chart, we've got the X axis is the expected fantasy points for rushes with the y-axis being the expected fantasy points in the receiving game for each back. And then we've got these little diagonal cross sections that are kind of tiering the running backs into 
their expected fantasy points buckets. So guys between zero and five, five and 10, 10 to 15, 15 to 20 and 20 up for their overall expected fantasy points. So guys that are inside the same little kind of diagonal uh, column, if you will, those are, are backs that are going to be producing about the same expected fantasy points per game. And then the size of their dot is just how efficient they've been. The larger the dot, the more efficient they are. And this is measured in fantasy points over expectation per game. Uh, some caveats just to look out for here. Uh, a guy could be, you know, very efficient, you know, getting more yards than he's expected to on a run and have large efficiency because of that. But he also could just convert all of his green zone touches to touchdowns, you know, without having to take multiple hacks at it. And he'd also look really efficient that way as well. Uh, a guy that I, I, you know, think is a great example of how uh, we want to be careful with how we interpret the fantasy points over expected is Tony Pollard. Early in the season, he looked super inefficient, but it was because they gave him like eight green zone carries in one game because he just couldn't get in the end zone. He like got three carries on one drive and just couldn't get in. Joe Mixon is another guy who's had that happen where, you know, the size of their bubble just falls to nothingness then because on that carry, they probably have between two and three, maybe even more expected fantasy points because they're expecting to convert a touchdown some percentage of the time. Um, but when they fail, all of a sudden they're under by a, a good margin there. So uh, like any of the data that we're presenting in the charts, uh, I think this is all really valuable stuff, but it's even more valuable when you apply the context to it. And four-week rolling average here again, correct? Yep. Good, and good so reminder. Thank you. Mixon is, uh, looks really efficient. He's the one I thought you were going to go to. It makes sense that you went to Pollard <laughs> and then you went to Mixon right after that. It's hilarious. But like Mixon over the last four weeks has averaged 3.7 yards a carry. He's not been any more efficient necessarily on the ground, but he has scored four touchdowns in the last four weeks. And he has a long reception on in the screen game in each of the past two weeks. Uh, one was like 29 yards. One was like 30 plus. And so you then have, you know, a pretty efficient yards per target over the last four weeks. He's strung a couple little efficiency things together, particularly the touchdowns. And suddenly Joe Mixon looks like an efficient back that we all know he is not. Let's see. Other interesting names. Here, here's another topical one because uh, Najee Harris was added to the uh, injury report today with a knee injury. Did not practice on a short week. Kind of interesting. Can't help but notice a pretty big circle for one Mr. Jalen Warren there, Sacrilegious. I think that's pretty much all from his like breakaway touchdown run. That's about <laughs> the size you get from one <laughs> breakaway touchdown run. Um, but I mean, he, he's been efficient without that massive breakaway yeah. touchdown. So yeah, that's certainly an exciting spot. Um, you know, I, I wonder if, if Najee does miss, do they give Warren such a huge workload or do they mix in another guy? Uh, I'd be curious to see how that shakes out. Yeah, I mean, looking like earlier in the season, they were using a little Anthony McFarlane, but lately they've been just rolling two backs, right, Gretch? Yeah, and I think they really like both backs. If they've made points throughout the season that they wanted to get Warren more involved. Lately, they've wanted to get Najee more involved, like this past week, because um, he had been, you know, doing some stuff. Well, I would suspect that it's a for them, it's a situation where they feel like they have two lead backs and so that's why it's a split but if one goes down the other would take over the whole backfield that's the i don't think they would involve a third back very much just based kind of reading the tea leaves on that they again 
a big reason people like Najee as well is Tomlin has a history of of workloads, uh, you know, heavy workloads, workhorses as well. When we look at this efficiency chart, efficiency chart, guys, uh, I want to know how depressed you are uh, relative to how depressed I am, which is extremely depressed at the size of Breeze Hall's uh, little orange <laughs> circle there. <laughs> I cannot talk about it without crying. Yeah. Him and Javante were the two I was Javante. staring at there. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, the Brees Hall stuff. I mean, I guess the Javante's maybe a little more frustrating in that, like, Russell Wilson has been fine. You don't have just, like, this systemic, you know, floor-falling-out risk like the Jets have had with Brees Hall. I mean, what's your read sacrilegious on on Javante here? Uh, I know the efficiency doesn't look great on Javante, but it kind of feels like it's just trending to where they want to give a bunch to him. I, I feel like we might we might end up seeing like a couple weeks from now that Javante's just getting so much work that the efficiency doesn't matter. And I mean, if he runs into some positive touchdown variants, like uh, again, it, it's, it, I feel like we got this narrative for Brees Hall during the off season, but we didn't get as much for Javante about, Hey, I'm just going to draft a bunch of Brees Hall. And all I need is to make it to the playoffs when Brees Hall is fully healthy. And then he's going to do his thing. But I mean, Javante is also coming off a, pretty serious knee injury and you know it takes time to get up to full strength from that and he's certainly looked better as the season's gone on I just wonder you know the usage seems like it might be trending heavier towards Javante if that holds and if he just gets a little fortunate and has some good touchdown variants could we see some pretty big games from Javante that catch people unexpecting yeah. I think so and I was just I was just looking to one, I think, encouraging thing to your point about him maybe getting loaded up down the stretch. I mean, P. Ryan's snaps have gone down each of the past three weeks, 20 week, 11, 16 week, 12, 11 last week. And it's not come at the expense of Javante Williams. It was Jaleel McLaughlin who had dropped down to two snaps in 12 and then popped back up to nine. But Javante's have been really nice the past two weeks, 44 and 39, which I do think really bodes well for him rest of season. Yeah, they're definitely, um, Leaning on him, particularly uh, on uh, the the concerning part of it is like more so on the like low value touches, as I like to call them, like a lot of the rush attempts. You're still seeing P. Ryan run a decent amount of routes. Um, Jaleel's been pretty much out of the offense until this week. He popped back up, like you said, to, to 10 snaps. I I had it in, in signals this week as like P. Ryan and, and McLaughlin are like interesting handcuffs as well, because they do focus so much of this offense on the running backs and don't throw a ton, as we were talking about with Russell Wilson. Um, but Javante is the one I, I like the, the take sacrilegious like that. He has not run efficiently, but if he has it, with this sort of new role that you just described, Pete, if he has an efficient rushing game, if he hits for a long TD run, this guy has zero rushing touchdowns this year, 153 rush attempts and has not scored a rushing touchdown. He has multiple receiving TDs. That's insane. 150 rush attempts, no TDs. And it was because of all Jaleel McLaughlin tomfoolery near the goal line at the beginning of the year. They'd be at like the two yard line. It's like bringing our new little Darren Sproles here. Right. Um, all right. I'm not going to tell. This is a one one other name. <laughs> one other name that I want to emphasize here. Uh, we already talked about it, but Devon Achan is sitting there tucked in behind Warren, just above the 10x expected points per game. But this is a four week rolling average where one of the four games he only played a couple of snaps. <laughs> <laughs> and his circle is massive from an efficiency standpoint. 
I, I said it was bullish on both guys. And uh, when we talked about the, the usage, I want to emphasize that that's relative to Mostert playing a lot fewer snaps. I still think Mostert's going to have a solid role. I still think he's going to be involved. I do think it's going to be a two-back committee. I think you want A-chan over Mostert. I think you want A-chan over most running backs in the NFL. I want to yeah, ask a fun thought experiment question. Uh, we're drafting for 2024. Mostert is confirmed on the roster. Where does Devon Achan go in best ball drafts? Second round. Yeah, I, I was going to say one, two turn. Yeah, yeah, that feels right. It, it, it's Javante last year when when Melvin Gordon was still on the on the mm. roster. But yeah. most are a little bit better, but but the offense is also a little bit better. I mean, that's the way that I would view it. Probably Achan's better too. So one, two turns probably right, Pete. I think that's right. Yeah, and obviously it'll always be colored by how this season, you know, finishes. Um, well, how people think about him. But I mean, Dwayne had this insane stat in his utilization report right up today. Achan is averaging thirty-one point three points in contests where he reaches a forty percent snap share. Thirty-one point three points on a forty percent snap share. This guy is like the dictionary definition of a unicorn. I mean, it it is insane. And actually, I have his, his game logs up. I mean, that's that's an, an incredible stat. He, the games that that disqualifies are the one where he only played three snaps. And his first game in week two, we only played six. It was 10%. So you could also write that as any game where he's played more than 10% of the snaps. <laughs> <laughs> that's good clickbait, wow. Reg. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah, there's yeah, four yeah. games where he's gotten over 10% of the snaps. <laughs> um. Anything else here before we move to the second uh, running back points and efficiency chart? I think we're good to move on to the second one. All right. We got uh, Kyron Williams popping big here. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco. This is just the the chart split, right? Just so it's not too chaotic. Is there a rhyme or reason for who's on the first chart and the second? Yeah. In the the machinations of the the charts i've got them all ranked in order of who has the highest total expected fantasy points and then the charts just split them as the evens and the odds so the guys ranked one three five seven nine end up on one chart the guys ranked two four six eight etc end up on the other chart just so they're kind of evenly spread and dispersed and this chart was one of the ones where i was uh, mentioning there's a guy on here who, uh, because of the rolling four-week stuff, shows up a little weird. That's Darrell Henderson. Uh, <laughs> he he should fall off. But that was because the one, I think he had, was it nine targets and seven receptions or something ludicrous? So he had an absurd amount of receiving expected fantasy points and then, you know, no other game. So he's he's just showing out there like a crazy. Also, the size of his FPO <laughs> circle is this is <laughs> tiny little circle. It's not quite the Joe Flacco circle size, but it's it's close. It's getting there. I like that at least it's it's on theme as a Sean McVay sliver uh, up there in the in the upper right. <laughs> right. Kyron is um, one of the guys that I might take. I don't know if I would take him ahead of HN for for rest of season, but the reasoning being he came back last week. He played sixty one percent of the snaps, and then or two weeks ago when he came back, and then this past week he was back up over ninety percent right away. His role is so, so valuable. They love to use running backs in the green zone. Someone talked about with Sean McVay for years. The fact that he would play 90% plus, I mean, I, I it's tough. and I don't know. It's tough not to think that he's a top five back. I don't even think he's that talented, but I just think it's a perfect run out. They don't get a lot of stack boxes. Kyle I, I, uh, Dvorak had the tweet last week where he had not run against an eight-man box all season. He's the only 
uh, running back with a certain amount of volume that hasn't run against the stacked box yet because it's like the 11 personnel, they always have the third receiver on the field and the way they attack the passing game. It's a stat that goes back to Todd Gurley. I remember writing uh, at that time in, in Gurley's career, he was the only high volume back that would have such a low limit of, of stack boxes and he would run against light boxes, just an absurd amount. Anyway, I think it's really beneficial for Kyron. That's what, a part of why he's really efficient and the TDs are always there because they like to use him in the, their running backs in the green zone. A lot of McVay's play calling in close is running back centric. He's He's got to be a top five. I mean, maybe even top three rest of season back right now. It's crazy. Sacrilege is a popular talking point of late is that Austin Eckler is washed. It's time for the curtains, hit the showers. Uh, do the efficiency metrics uh, match with that sentiment? I, uh, one of my, my good buddies just got eliminated from the Scott Fishbowl this last week with Austin Eckler as his running back. And he was bemoaning how, how let down he was. And he's one of his favorite players. And I asked him, was this Pat Crane? No, no. Okay. <laughs> I asked him, what do you, what do you think the actual football playing ability difference is right now between Austin Eckler and Leonard Fournette? You know, oh, no. setting aside that one of them is currently on an active roster, and I don't think it's probably that much, right? And I don't, I don't know that that's like. Maybe you get a little bit of Austin Eckler like revitalization at the very start of next year because um, he's a little healthier off the high ankle. I think the high ankle just really crushed him this year. I mean, I, I wasn't drafting him a ton this summer just with age concerns, but I think the high ankle really did him dirty. He, he might've had one more good year left in the tank and he's getting robbed of the opportunity to show that to us, which is a bit of a bummer, but yeah, I, I think it's uh Jover as the kids say for Austin Eckler. Is that track for you, Ben? I think there's some potential that he could bounce back next year based on everything sacrilegious just said, but I do think it is the ankle right now. We tend to see the same season lingering effects. Um, He's, he's a film take one for me where I, I watch all the games every week. I've watched him his whole career. He's always been a certain type of explosive that's really fun to watch. It's pretty depressing, but he does not have that juice right now, which is very, very clear. He gets in open space, and it's like, well, he's not healthy or he's old. I don't know. It's one or the other. Yeah. It's uh, definitely disappointing there. I'm trying to – you know one actual interesting backfield uh, we didn't talk about? I believe they were on the previous chart, but let, let's talk about them. What have you guys been seeing from Chuba Hubbard, right? Because we had that, what, couple-week stretch where Miles Sanders was starting to get really involved in the passing game. I know, Gretch, you were talking about that a lot before that Thursday night game when we were debating how to play those guys from a pick em angle. What are you guys seeing from this Carolina backfield right now? I got a great stat on that. Chupa uh, got back to running his highest uh, route percentage uh, as a percentage of dropbacks of the season the week before last. And then this last week, he was at his lowest route percentage. I don't know what they're doing with the with the routes, with the running backs, because Miles Sanders was cutting into it, and then Chupa got it back, and now he was back to his lowest. Um, I think it's like, like Chupa's like their lead back, and he's going to get a lot of the carries, but the receiving stuff to me is it could go anywhere. It's all over the place. They're just trying to throw stuff on the wall and see what sticks there in Carolina, it feels like. But yeah, Chuba Chuba's the guy that you want going forward. Um, I mean, he's definitely he's getting so much volume now that he he's pretty startable, you know. Uh I, I definitely would 
obviously you prefer him over Sanders, but yeah, he, he looks like he's got a pretty good role going forward. And then I just look at the passing game as, as gravy for him. Cause he, you know, he certainly should be the one getting more of the passing work compared to Sanders. Um, and so you just hope that rational coaching prevails, but who knows? One more on here that it it, keep, it seems like we keep getting these false starts of like, is Ty Chandler going to get more touches? Is he finally to get more touches? The team keeps saying, hey, we want to get him more involved. Uh, and then you look at the final usage numbers and it's still Alexander Madison uh, leading them in touches. What do you guys think of these two who are uh, clustered next to each other on the chart here? Uh, I I'm want to be optimistic for Ty Chandler, but I feel like for him to get more opportunity, he's just going to have to come out and take it. He, he has to do enough that it's like, okay, we can't, we can't keep trotting Alexander Madison out here as much as we are. He's going to have to deliver some big explosive plays and I, he's looked good. It's not like he's out there, you know, just doing nothing, but I think he has to show in a pretty major way that he is the superior option, Alexander Madison for him to get the usage that the uh, Ty Chandler truthers want. Um, and, and so I just think you're at the mercy of his talent at this point. So it's purely does the bet on talent pay off. Gretch, any, any hope for Ty Chandler uh, giving us some spike weeks, at least for our uh, best ball shares, at least where he's uh, hanging around on a lot of rosters or at least mine. Um, I, I've had hope at times. I think the tricky thing is again, to get back to like, how efficiency can play into volume. And, and I, I've said this a couple times with the running backs and I, I just, I, I think Minnesota likes him and he's been good enough recently that they haven't had a reason to not use him. So you, I think you kind of need an injury from Madison to get more Chandler, even though Chandler has looked a lot more explosive when used. And I think they would be right to use more Chandler, but they're just, I mean, they're already kind of committed down the Madison train He's their big back. He's their guy they paid this offseason. He's the guy that um, they, the, you know, they like to use. And then they use, like, in, in between the tackles and all the, like, when I say this, the big back thing in all the size ways, and then they use Chandler as, like, the 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 screen pass guy a little bit. But they don't really actually design a lot of touches for him. You also got Justin Jefferson almost certainly coming back this week. And so you're going to probably see more of a pass rate, I would guess. So it's, it's kind of like Gus Edwards and Keaton Mitchell, except they're not designing as much as they're designing for Keaton Mitchell, and they're also not running as much as the Ravens run. And so you're getting like three you know fun plays out of Ty Chandler a game. It's just not enough. You probably need a Madison injury is sort of my fear. All right, Sacrilege, should we move on to the uh, the tight end position? Yeah, let's hit the tight ends here. All right, I, I know this chart is a four-week rolling average because Kate Otten is higher than Trey McBride and Sam Laporta. And uh, <laughs> I know if we're just existing in the Week 13 universe, that wouldn't be the case. That is correct. This is, again, a four-week rolling average uh, because these tight end trends can change over the season. They're less sticky than the wide receivers. Um, the x-axis is just the percent of team dropbacks that the guy is out there for. And then the bars the horizontal bars the green color is the route percentage and then the kind of red pink salmon color is the pass blocking snaps that they're out there for so ideally we would love our tight ends to be running lots and lots of routes um, the pass blocking isn't terrible in small doses um, but you know we we want the routes those are what's the most valuable 
Uh, and then over on the left, you've got some stats like ADOT and targets per route run to help us determine how valuable those routes actually are. Look at our king, Kyle Pitts, the only tight end with a double-digit ADOT. <laughs> and still rocking a 20% targets per route run. I mean, yeah. for, for guys down down lower on this chart, you're not seeing a lot. I mean, at, at a high ADOT, too, that's pretty solid. But I was looking at the targets per route runs for the guys you just mentioned, McBride, Laporta, 26, 24, Hawkinson's at 25. Kelsey's at 25. I mean, McBride and Laporta are right there with them. Those are the four really strong TPRRs. I mean, yeah, I'm just I'm just geeking about the Laporta and McBride bags is all. <laughs> who's, who's the tight end one next season in drafts? Laporta. Yeah, right? I mean, <laughs> or, or yeah. I mean, Hawkinson. Or, yeah. Hawkinson. or yeah. McBride. <laughs> but it's not. I, so uh, the reason I went... From Laporta to uh, Haw- uh, to Hawkinson, as I was thinking of Amonra, but Hawkinson has Jefferson, so maybe you're right about McBride. Like he could be the legit number one. He looks like it right now. He he looks like the Kelsey in terms of like the offense is flowing through him. Whereas for both Laporta and Hawkinson, they're getting a ton of volume, but they're not necessarily like the number one pass weapon. McBride like looks like he's that dude right now. He- you also cannot undervalue the ball don't lie play that Trey McBride turned in for us when he got that bullshit touchdown, you know, called back for no reason. Yeah. He had like the three steps, and then the next play he gets in there again. That was that's some alpha stuff right there. Yeah, that's what it you really see. was. I also think it it's another you know notch in his belt that he weathered a quarterback change and not that like Dobbs and Kyler are that different stylistically, but it is a different variable. And you'll often see these things like throw a wrench into, Oh, you know, this Dobbs loves throwing to the tight end. Who knows if Kyler would do that. But like, I think this guy is earning targets. He is like commanding the ball every time he's out there and seeing him do that with both quarterbacks is kind of an eye popping thing for me of like, no, no, this dude is good. Yes. Um, How about how about we talk a little bit about Evan Ingram, who's up here, is obviously frustrated fantasy players a lot this year, did score last night. Now you have Christian Kirk out uh, for what seems like it could be a while. Uh, him and Evan Ingram operating a lot of times similar areas of the field. Do we feel like Ingram could get Wait, even more uh, targets here? I missed the Kirk thing. He's actually out for a while. He's, he's undergoing what? surgery. Yeah. Yeah. What What happened? Yeah, uh, crushed his nut all the way, man. It's gone. Yeah, he just like his ball evaporated. (laughs) Yeah, it was like I was so weird too because it when you watch the replay, it looked like a non-contact thing. I I was like, did he just get the wind knocked out of him? What? And something happened to his nutsack, man. I'm sure Tyler in the chat can diagnose uh, the. the I just feel bad for him. Yeah, I I don't think we're seeing him. Yeah, I don't think we're seeing him for a while. Uh, but for for what this does for Evan Ingram, I, I think it's like wheels all the way up for Evan Ingram. They operate in the same area of the field. I mean, look at look at that ADOT for Evan Ingram. He is like right next to the line of scrimmage. <laughs> and and they have the the cool thing about this is the Jaguars have been really uh God, what's the word that I'm looking for? They've they've been really intentional with their usage of Evan Ingram. For example, when they played the Steelers earlier this year. Uh, to kind of offset that pass rush from the Steelers, they went hard at Evan Ingram there, just all this short, quick hitter stuff. And he had a huge day. And so I feel like Evan Ingram is super valuable now because you know 
the guy that operates in the short area of the field is Evan Ingram. There's no more like, is it Christian Kirk this game? Is it Evan Ingram? And when you get a matchup where you know that there's going to be, you know, strong pass rush, you can pretty confidently lean into that as a really strong play for Evan Ingram. So I just love him because it's one of those plays where it feels really predictable to me too. And it has the ability to deliver a, a pretty good ceiling for fantasy. Love that take. That's yeah. Awesome. What, uh, how about, let me uh, really put this to the test. How do you feel about him potentially this week on the road against a tough Browns defense with uh, CJ Bathard at quarterback? I don't hate it. Um, I, I honestly, this, this is going to sound weird. Uh, what's Miles Garrett's status for that game? You're asking the wrong IDP, bro, but I can. Because uh... I, I like it better if Garrett is in. I want the pass. <laughs> okay. Right? I, I want I want them to have to go to Evan Ingram two yards down the field to, to get it out. Um, and I mean, I, I think that with Bethard and I don't want to paint with such a broad brush with all backup quarterbacks love tight ends. Right. But we did, we saw that with Browning this week and they talked about it on the broadcast of, Hey, these, you know, less experienced quarterbacks, like the tight end can be a really friendly option for them. And so I wouldn't be surprised at all to see CJ Beathard just stick to his safety blanket of Evan Ingram real close to the line of scrimmage against a tough Browns pass defense. Uh, I mean, other than, uh, you know, a heaping helping, of uh, the run game, you know, I think that's what we can expect against the Browns. Uh, I'm trying to think some other situations that are particularly interesting. I know there's some little buzz in the air. Dawson Knox might be returning soon. Uh, if he does, how do you think that pans out for Dalton Kincaid? Does Liam have to deactivate his Twitter account or can the good times keep rolling for the sun runner? I mean, Liam's Twitter account is never getting deactivated because even if Dawson Knox comes back and takes routes away from Dalton Kincaid, don't worry. It's He's only doing it so that Dalton Kincaid is intentionally lower owned in the finals, just like he planned the entire time. <laughs> yeah, you're not on Twitter. By the way, why we're Doug, he got Liam. He posted a three quarterback Josh Allen gauntlet team today on Twitter, and it was it offended my sensibilities. Uh, sacrilegious. I, I appreciate that he is uh, doing everything in his power to try and get his expected value closer to, or get his actual realized value closer to his expected value. So God bless him. <laughs> okay, I derailed us uh, with some some shots at Liam there. Uh, <laughs> Anything else uh, jump out to you? We, we mentioned the thing with the rolling in, and we mentioned Tucker Craft at the beginning. How do you think, do you think his role is going to be like a one-for-one one, uh, for what they were doing with Luke Musgrave? I don't see why it wouldn't be, although you did get a little Ben Sims action who, God, this has been tilting for me in showdown because I've rolled out Ben Sims in Packers slates before this season just for the fun of, God, imagine if I solo shipped a showdown flagship with a guy named Sims. Like, how great would that be? <laughs> and the one week where I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go heavy crap. This Ben Sims guy hasn't done shit every other time I've played him. And of course, he kicks off the slate with a touchdown. I don't think it ended up mattering, but uh, it was still tilting nonetheless. Uh, but long, long and short of it, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say he'll be one for one for Luke Musgrave as far as the role. But also you can see the targets per route run isn't anything to really write home about for Luke Musgrave. And I don't think it'll be anything to write home about for Kraft. You do have the Christian Watson injury, which you know leaves a little bit more of that target share up for grabs. Um, so I, I like Kraft as a potential tight end dart throw. And I think he's 
you know, interesting. I, I don't think I do. And I think it's because, um, even if it is a one for like Musgrave hasn't been good. Like, even if it is a one for one with Musgrave, it's not great. And to your point, um, like it, it isn't an offense that has really used like the target spot runs, nothing to write home about you. Pete, you mentioned it earlier, Dobbs, Reed, Wicks, Watson. I mean, I think they're really more of a wide receiver centric passing game. It just feels like one of those teams where like, I don't think we really get more than four receptions for the tight end in a game. Like what's the ceiling? Like we just talked about it with Ingram. I think Ingram, I mean, he did in this game, Kirk went out and Ingram had like, what it was at eight or nine catches. I just don't know that there's a lot of situations where the Packers tight end ends up catching more than like four balls. The way this, this passing offense is configured. I'd love to be wrong. He makes sense to grab because I do think the the usage and the routes will all be there. I just don't know that there's – I think the young receivers are just too much – too involved. Yeah, I did see – I saw Rotopat uh, had a write-up about Jordan Love too, and he was talking about how he's like a, a quarterback of yesteryear where he's not uh, feeling – you know, be holding the checking down and throwing to the tight end that he's willing to just wait for the play to develop downfield, chuck it down to these guys. And I guess that is maybe a note too on, I mean, the thing that was kind of exciting about Musgrave is he did have a decent ADOT. You know, they were giving him those, you know, routes up the seam. I guess I haven't quite seen that yet from Tucker Kraft, but he's also just starting to get his sea legs in the offense too. So maybe that could expand as well. But Musgrave has one game. I mean, he only has one TD, but one game over eight half PPR points. Like, yeah. And it was that TD game. Like, it's just not been very good. Yeah. Uh, Sacrilegious, anything else on uh, tight ends? We also have the second chart here, uh, but I know we got a bunch of piss boys in the crowd tonight who would love to talk some wide receivers as well. I think we can move to the back of tight end chart. I'm trying to remember if there's anyone that stuck out there before we get to wide receivers. Uh, no, oh, Noah Fant, honorable mention, Noah Fant, mm. um, you know, did, did a little bit of interesting stuff, got up to, I think he ran 60% of the routes. So that was cool. Um, <laughs> as a man who's drafted a bunch of Noah Fant in best ball, <laughs> um, that's one where I stand with William. Noah, Noah Fant <laughs> is too good to remain underutilized, but yeah, I, I don't think, I mean, you're not playing in DFS or anything unless he's like stone men and, uh, you know, yeah. Chuck Albert out. Albert O got some routes this week, but he's wow. got a three percent targets per out run there. Not looking great. Tanner Hudson twenty five percent targets per out run. He's been running the most routes for the Bengals. If their pass game is anything, especially if it's you know short area targets and stuff, he could at least be like vaguely interesting. But it's it's still a pretty rotational thing with their tight ends. I think Tanner um, Hudson's a good call though. Yeah. What about uh, one that, you know, I've seen the classic take floated. Uh, Tank Dell's out. Brevin Jordan looked good last week. What if they start using two tight end sets with Dalton Schultz, Brevin Jordan? Could Brevin retain some fantasy value here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is is, uh, is Schultz expected back this week for sure? Not got clear. You tag right now. I haven't heard either way. The two, I mean, the, the idea of the two tight end sets is, possible it just doesn't seem because they still can go with noah brown robert woods and nico collins and they're mixing and matchy a little bit too it doesn't seem likely to me i guess because they still have they have some like receiver depth actually okay that's that's the way i'd lean on it as well um all right 
let's see here. Let's move on to wide receivers. The crowd's going wild with the piss boy emotes uh, tonight. Sacrilegious set up this uh, chart here that we're looking at. All right, so this is our wide receiver opportunity versus fantasy points chart. We've got these broken down into three different charts. Uh, they're cohorts based on the percentage of routes that the wide receiver runs for their team. So this first chart is the big boy chart. It's for guys running between 85% and 100% of the routes for their team. They're out there all the time. The y-axis is the fantasy points, so higher is more desirable. The x-axis is the weighted targets per route run. And then you can see the little legend up in the top left-hand corner with the color coding on their dot for their route share. Uh, and again, this these wide receiver charts are different than the running back and tight end charts in that we don't do a rolling four weeks. This is for the entire season. Um, mm. So these have mostly stabilized. Uh, so we're really not going to have too much new information, but I do think the best way to discuss these is how we see these guys rest of season. If there's anyone that might be delivering performances significantly different from their neighbors on the chart right now. What uh, jumps out to you, Gretch, as you uh, scan these top wide receivers? Um, I mean, obviously, the further sort of bottom right you get, you're, you're like, okay, there's good volume. Um, Chris Alave is down in the bottom right of the top right thing right and and then there's been the talk that Jameis winston likes him a little more i've just whether it's winston or not i've just felt like alave has been sort of underperforming what he should be getting and, and some of it is definitely Derek Carr. like literally last week before Carr went out he had him deep and he underthrew him and it's like it's happened a few times where he hit on those big plays last year a little bit more frequently it felt like it's a big part of his profile to be able to hit on a few of those shots downfield um, I think there's a lot of room for him to actually look like the round two ADP guy that we were drafting that he hasn't really played up to. He's been like the Tony Pollard of wide receivers, right? Like the volume has been there. The weighted target sprout run is there, but like, are we going to get the efficiency ever? We've seen flashes of it. I think, I think we might actually see it. Um, like he's a, he's a guy that I would, if you could get in a lave team through in the, in the BBM, like, I think that's a, that'd be nice. Be a good thing. Chris Olave is a great call. That's one where I've been hammering that for a couple weeks as a good good candidate for some positive regression. And God knows my best ball shares need it because I think I'm close to like 20% Olave on, on all sides. <laughs> <laughs> it, it and he would be even less sneaky had he not gotten injured two weeks ago against the Falcons. I mean, he was destroying in that first half. Um feel pretty confident he would have had a touchdown and a bunch more yards if he yep. stayed healthy that entire game. Um, have we seen a true flippening with Puka and Cooper Cup? Like, is, is Puka the 1A there? I think so. I think Cup is banged up. Uh, he ended up with a decent game in this one, but Puka only ran routes on 51% of dropbacks because he had the AC sprain early, like in the second quarter, and then he came back late. But he missed some time, and that's when they were like, okay, we're going to go back to you know the first reads to Cooper Cup. But uh, a lot of it was to Puka early and late. And and I think Cup is just not really fully healthy, and, and Puka's balling. And they're just like, yeah, that's where we're going to go with it. Like, we're going to go to Puka 
like he's in I saw somebody somewhere say that Puka's in the cup role and Cup's in the Robert Woods role, and I was like, oh fuck, that's way too good. Like that's wow. The uh this Rams wide receiver room though is the walking wounded right now, man. I mean Puka's dealing with a ton. He's got the rib injury, he's got the AC joint sprain. Cup, you know, who knows how the hamstring is feeling, but he's dealing with the ankle too. And so, and of course, he's just, he's getting up there in years. So uh, this might be really gross, but how do you feel about a little 2-2 Atwell as the guy you need in week 17? Did he, so his routes were down this week as well. I wanted to look and see if he got banged up. Did anyone see anything on 2-2 injury-wise? Because he, even though um, Puka was banged up, Tutu's routes were also very down in this game, and I didn't I didn't know why. I didn't I didn't end up looking that up. I, I noticed Skoranek on the field. I didn't look at the route numbers, but I noticed Skoranek out there a, a good bit. So maybe he was getting more of it. I'm I'm not sure. And Demarcus Robinson was out there. That's so true. Tutu was 46%, Skoranek was 46, Demarcus was 54, Nakua was 51. Typically these guys oh, so Nakua's only 38 in week 12 as well. Is he like not healthy, or is he losing snaps to Demarcus Robinson? Because no, he's he's not healthy. Okay, their their routes Tutu and Demarcus Robinson the last two weeks have added up to exactly a hundred percent both weeks, and actually the last three weeks it was 88-12-2-2 to Robinson, and then it's flipped where Robinson's run more, but they've added up to one hundred percent each time. So I think the fact that Robinson's been a little bit involved has come at Atwell's expense. If it's health related, that makes sense. Then I'm then I'm in on on Atwell for sure. Oh, I'm um, sorry. I was saying Puka's not healthy. I'm not sure about Tutu. Puka, yeah, Puka, one, Tutu sounds too too similar. Tyler says Tutu is poo poo. So um, <laughs> yeah, that's I a mean, good point. <laughs> I I will say like to that point, like if one of these guys misses, I mean Tutu splits with Cup out first four weeks of the season. Twenty uh, percent targets per route run, average eight and a half targets a game during that stretch. I mean, if you if you get him on the field, he's earning targets. It's just right. it's been hard. Yeah, the routes were really strong in that stretch. He was at like ninety percent and up. Mike, I'm just trying to figure out why he's been sub fifty percent route share the last two weeks. That's a big big impact to. Yeah, but I I, I would completely be in if he's running ninety percent routes like he was early in the year. I think that's a great point. And, and would you be in? Let's just say that Tutu ends up out. Are you still in on Demarcus Robinson then? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would say the best selling point Gretch to answer for Gretch is Demarcus Robinson isn't Van Jefferson, but that's probably the nicest thing. Yeah, I mean, but I remember remember in the offseason, Pete, when I had a, a few drafts on ship chase and we had those 33 man drafts. I was like, we got to get a little Demarcus Robinson. I was I was I had a little Demarcus oh, yeah, Robinson were, moment. Yeah. But you know, uh you, you I, have, you I don't, have your guys. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I'm uh I don't think I'm expecting those bags to pay off. No, I think Demarcus <laughs> Robinson, even though he's playing a little bit, is not somebody that you need. Anything else here? I guess uh, maybe are, 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 what are you guys expecting from Justin Jefferson uh, in this game back? First time with Joshua Dobbs, uh, theoretically. Uh, what do you guys think? I'm expecting 150 yards and two touchdowns. Yeah, Justin I, Jefferson I, things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it 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 could. I guess it could be like a you know a slow bring bringing him back up to speed. But I'm fully expecting. I was looking up. He talks a lot about his stats. Talks about wanting to be a Hall of Famer. He didn't like that he missed seven games. He played the first five. He's got five more. In the first five, he got 
uh, like 570 yards. I, I am fully expecting him to get the other 430 and getting over 1,000 yards. Everyone wants to get that benchmark. I think he's going to get it in 10 games and have 100-plus per game was what he'll need to get there. But he had like 116 per game in the first. So he needs like whatever that is, 84 and, you know, per game in the, in the last five. I think he gets there. Like I think it's, it matters to him to get there. So – I'm yeah. I mean, I'm I'm expecting him to come back and ball. Like he's not. He doesn't have cousins like he did early. It's going to be a little bit worse. But it's just like pass volume is going to be a little bit worse. But yeah, I'm maybe maybe wrong too. But I I think he's like uh, if anyone's sleeping on him in any format, like you, I want to be buying Justin Jefferson whenever he's like mildly overlooked. Yeah. Um, I would be a bad stat chasing co-host, uh, sacrilegious. If I didn't give you an opportunity to gleefully talk about the decline of, uh, Adam Thielen, how are we, uh, feeling about him on this chart this week? Oh, it's, it's delicious. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I am really, I, I don't even know that I want to speak it into existence and jinx it, but, uh, I'm, I'm knocking on some wood. Um, there's there's a bet in the discord channel, the deposit kingdom discord channel, uh, that someone has with like five different people, um, that Adam Thielen was going to go over 100 receptions this season. This was made in the summer when his line was at like 47 and a half, which it was a feeding frenzy when this unofficial (laughs) discord line got posted. I I think, (laughs) I think the guy probably could have gotten like a a solid six figures down on this if he wanted. (laughs) And, uh, and, I mean, of course, Adam Thielen is is on pace right now to break that 100 reception total. But these last couple of weeks are definitely making it look like it might be more of a sweat than we initially had at, to start the season. So if he can uh, if he can remain under 100 total receptions, I'll be a really, really happy man. I mean, even though in, in principle, like the guy probably should have won the bet. Like, dude, right. don't, don't hang ridiculous lines, like a hundred receptions. <laughs> um, but I think if, if anything, that's just like a wonderful life lesson for him. Like do a tiny bit of research <laughs> before hanging, you know, yeah. uh, alt lines. But this is why we got to get uh underdog to dial in their uh, pick them champions thing <laughs> that they have to do at certain States. Uh, you, we need more of this guy out here hanging these lines so you can pick them off. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, looking at even just at his box score, so October 15th, uh, 11 receptions, 11 receptions, 7, 11, and then 7 versus the Saints, and then 2. Or no, I'm reading this box score backwards. Jesus, I'm an idiot. Um, That was in the middle of the season. After that 11-catch game against the Dolphins, 8, 5, 6, 8, 1, 3. So 4 over the past two weeks. So cooling off considerably. And Jonathan Mingo, 10 targets, 6 catches last game. Got, I mean, I... I hypothesized that apparently David Pepper Pepper David Tepper really wanted the RPOs involved. I don't know if you guys heard about this, but he asked Frank Reich to, and Frank Reich was like, no, it's not, you know, it doesn't fit my offense. And that was part of why he got fired when he did. It was like, we want to get some RPOs. Bryce Young's used to them. I wrote about the RPOs this summer about how, because they are a run pass option when they become a pass and the, and the, the linemen are run blocking and you get the ineligible downfield stuff. If you, go through a, a read, you go through a progression, right? Because when they become a pass, they need to be the – I'm having a hard time with words right now. When when they become a pass, they're going to be the first read. Otherwise, you get uh, the lineman releasing downfield, and then you get a penalty. Uh, and so I, I, I theorized if they add more RPOs, it might be Mingo because a lot of times those are more vertical routes. Like a lot of what Thielen's doing is – 
I guess a lot of times because they're an outside receiver, like running a slant or something like that. It's not like a Thielen slot route. Anyway, I don't know if they were these 10 targets he got were on RPOs and stuff. I don't even know if they ran a lot of RPOs in this game. But new coaching staff this week is kind of the main part of what I'm saying. They're probably going to do some different stuff in the passing game. Seeing Mingo get involved a little bit more was at least interesting to me as the flip side of this. He could be a guy that sees some more volume down the stretch one way or another. I don't know if it would necessarily be because of the RPOs, but 10 targets was uh, was pretty interesting. And I think we can just manually add one more reception to a season-long total. There's just one right. play that you know, <laughs> that I just count as a reception, personally. For sure. Uh Let's go to uh, the Tyreek Hill almost breaks the chart here. Uh, wide receiver opportunity versus fantasy points uh, now in the 70 to 85% routes run bucket. We saw, you know, all of these guys up here last week have big games. Tyreek Hill, Mike Evans, Nico Collins, Debo Samuel. Anything interesting here we should be uh, noting sacrilegious? You know who has crept onto this chart is Cedric Tillman, baby. Wow. Okay. And, and I I think he's good. Um I don't know that we'll see anything this season that matters at all for fantasy, but like just uh, leave a light on for old Cedric Tillman next season in your best ball drafts. Um, as far as guys that might be fantasy relevant this season, um, you know, Romeo Dobbs probably gets a little bit of a bump with the Christian Watson injury here. Um, definitely was a disappointing week from Josh Downs, who was looking like he was, you know, ascending a little bit there, getting really good target volume, um, but then had a, a week where he really took a back seat and, and Pittman was the absolute star of the show. I, I think a big part of that too is just they had the big chunk play touchdown um, with Pierce. And so that shortened a drive and they, they didn't need to use Josh Downs to keep drives alive as their, you know, move the chains type of receiver. So um, you know, I don't think Josh Downs is dead by any means. Um, but yeah, Mike, I mean, Mike Evans is like, if we were like making a, a Madden cover boy for BBM four, I feel like Mike Evans has to be on the short list, right? Like this guy is absolutely crushed his ADP, like against all odds from, from what, you know, drafters were thinking of him. Like the dude is just going out there even better season with Baker Mayfield than with Tom Brady. It's a, uh, it's been pretty fun to watch. Yeah, it's it's insane. Um, just seeing, I feel like so my kind of take on it is like what he's doing, like in a vacuum by itself, isn't insane. He's just crushed every single year since 2014. It's what he's doing relative to Chris Godwin that has really been surprising me this year. Yeah, me too. I was uh, pretty heavy on Godwin. I, I drafted a lot of Evans too, but I think Godwin was my highest drafted receiver. Was really interested in him. Um, the general, it was directionally accurate because a lot of people thought the Bucks would be such a bad offense that like you couldn't get like that's why they were so low in ADP. And I was like, no, their offense is gonna like a lot of a lot of paths for their pass offense to be vaguely decent, um, and it's been good enough to support what Evans has done, which is awesome. But it's been shocking what happened. What's happened to Godwin to me at least, or and you? How about this sacrilege? Because I'm looking at this bottom quadrant. You mentioned Tillman. Who do you think is the best candidate to be this year's Tyquan Thornton, this year's KJ Hamler, the random rookie who does nothing all year, but somehow ends up being a factor in the best ball mania playoffs? Oh, I mean, in this bottom quadrant going away, it's Jackson Smith and Jigba. Um, okay. And I feel like that's cheating <laughs> that a little going bit. Going in the first seven rounds. How about yeah. That's <laughs> cheating a little bit. Um, yeah. Cheating a lot. 
<laughs> but uh, I need a lot more from JSN than that. <laughs> I mean, I feel like two weeks ago we would have said AT Perry, but uh, I, I don't know if it's happening for AT Perry. AT Perry no. needs it to be Jameis for AT Perry to have any any kind of chance. So my vote is because because Hyatt hasn't made it onto this chart yet, right? Is he? No, yeah, he's he's. Still... I'll let you go off this chart. Like if you wanna, you know, do a little Mims Hyatt. I I think those guys all make. Sense. Yeah, Hyatt Hyatt would probably be my pick. He looks good. Um, yeah, like he looks good, good. Um, and he's he's the kind of like deep a dot, you know, explosive play type of guy where I, I could just see it. You know, the Rams or Kyron Williams is doing Kyron Williams things and going crazy, and they just start chucking it. And Jalen Hyatt has a couple deep grabs and gets a touchdown and and sneaks into the optimal lineup. He's the pick like for it. sure. Mingo honorable mention. Double honorable mention to Quentin Johnston. <laughs> <laughs> I should have added my qualifier of was going like round 14 or right. later because now we've all named guys we were aggressively. Right. So Quentin Johnston, <laughs> Johnston definitely did nothing up to this point, which was part of something that you said. That would be funny of how many we talk about like, oh, what do you need from this you know specific draft pick to pay off the cost? It's like, what would Quentin Johnson have to do in a single game to pay off his draft slot? Well, if it's in week 17, you know, not a ton based on what Tyquan Thornton That's did true. last year. <laughs> yeah. If he, yeah, if you, if he gave us 100 yards in a TD, the problem is, is how many people are showing up with Quentin Johnson teams there? Uh, to the right. <laughs> I don't yeah. think anyone is. <laughs> um, all right, let's let's head to uh, the sub-70% routes run version of this chart. We do see a couple other rookies we keep wanting to see bigger roles for up here. Rashi Rice, Jane Reed. Curtis Samuel, who has uh, effectively turned uh, Terry McLaurin into a wind sprinter these days, uh, and then a, a heaping blob of, of names here. Sacrilegious, what jumps out? I mean, th- there's actually one guy in the heaping blob that was kind of interesting. Xavier Gibson was was kind of balling. And, and I mean, you're never going to start him because he's on the Jets and they don't have a functional quarterback or offense. But like, he, he looked good. I think he was had nine targets and seven catches or something. It, it, I can't remember what he finished his box score at, but I remember watching that game. It's like, Oh my gosh, Xavier Gibson is cooking. Um, so he was a little bit interesting there. Um, I mean, I know Dricko and I already called the, the Rashi rice breakout is coming, but Andy Reed just continues to edge us. Maybe, maybe Rashi rice is, I mean, but he, he hasn't done nothing so far. He's done something, but he's definitely a, a good candidate to, uh, you know, deliver you uh, uh, the week that you need in the fantasy playoffs. And, and honestly, same with Jaden Reed. Um, I, I like both those guys. Otherwise, <laughs> I mean, you want to, you want a really wild one that could show up and do something in the fantasy playoffs, but maybe just maybe leave a light on for Rashad Bateman. I mean, like it's, it's not likely, but uh, I mean, with no Mark Andrews and, it really seems like they don't want to give Odell Beckham like a full complement of snaps. Um, I mean, he'll still get the targets, but maybe you get enough from Bateman and he delivers like some of those vintage Bateman plays that got us so excited about him when he first came into the league, those explosive, you know, long touchdowns. So, but I mean, this chart's mostly a wasteland. Jamison Williams could do, That's a good could do some stuff. That's a good call. He's been making some plays, uh, not getting enough volume overall. Tyler, want to shout out. Uh, yeah, this is a great note. He he looked up 
some stuff on Tutu when we were talking about it. Saw that uh, Rams beat reporter Jordan Rodrigue uh, had spoke with McVay and, and talked about it in a pod. Then he went and listened to the pod, reported back um, that they want to leave heavier personnel or blocking receivers for run game emphasis. The coaches believe D-Rob has earned more plays. So it seems legit. Like, Tutu has lost snaps. He's not big enough to run block, and they like Demarcus Robinson as a more physical run blocker. Um, so, yeah, that's probably it for Tutu, basically. I mean, it, not completely it, but if he's only running 50% of the snaps, I don't think you want to be in on him even as, like, a, a dart throw. I think people are going to have too high of a perception of him because the route really has shifted the last couple of weeks. The Excuse me, the role, the route's role. Has really shifted. What Dontavion Wicks just popped it. Sorry, but Dontavion Wicks. No, no. If Watson's gone, he's another one that that pop comes to mind. He's been he's been balling too a little bit. What was Dontavion Wicks's draft percentage in BBM four? Oh, probably not drafted. <laughs> anyway, sub, sub sub point oh five percent or something, something ridiculous. Yeah. Um, let's see. I guess just real quick on the Jamison Williams thing. Like, what do you guys make of it? Because, you know, the first three weeks he came back, he was, his routes weren't great. Then he's been in over the 60% range the past three weeks, but like his targets, his targets per route run, like it just doesn't seem like they're really going out of their way to involve him in the passing game. We do see them manufacture kind of that rushing touch for him, which was nice, but could we ever see him getting up to like a 15, 20% target share? Or are they just too in love with the Cleef Raymond and Josh Reynolds of the world? I think they're maybe too in love with them, and I think it's tricky. But I will say, if you want to talk about like an in-season drum beat, right? Like the vibes were horrible, right? And he, he was suspended, and he came back, and it was his coach talking about he can't catch. He's made uh, key blocks on long runs. He has uh, had that nice run play last week. He's made uh, most of his catches. Hasn't had any like really bad drops lately. They're not giving him a ton of stuff, but he when you watch them play. He actually is like a, a spark plug for them a little bit. And they're like the teammates seem to rally around him. There is like a, for me over the last several weeks and the limited stuff that he's done, there is like this in-season drum beat where the vibes used to be like, this guy's could never, they don't even want him. Like they don't even want to look at him anymore. And now it's like his teammates are sort of rallying around him. The team seems to like, like him. He seems to be like fitting it. The vibes are like solid. It's just, but in terms of, the overall role and everything. Like, I don't really have anything statistically to tell you because it's not good. They're not throwing him the ball enough. And I don't, I don't really think they're going to. The the good thing is he can score from anywhere, right? Like he can have a two for 102 game. Yeah. Um, all right, Zachary Lynch, we have some of your uh competitors in the dog bowl uh lurking in the chat. Chris G wants to know uh who are who, who's performing in week 14? Uh, Chris, Chris just wants you to know who's who are the good plays. Chris, I think I think you got to go back to what got me there, and I think you got to roll out Deonta Foreman this week, buddy. <laughs> I, I know you don't want to hear it, but I think you got to gotta just plug your nose and make that click. For people who, for some reason, don't know, uh, Sacrilegious, along with Chris G, along with Nez, a lot of other people from the Deposit Kingdom will be competing for a $200,000 top prize this weekend in Miami. There's three different 12-person drafts. Sacrilegious has a seat there. It's the exact same structure as the Dog Bowl, 12-person uh, draft, six rounds, so uh, 72 players drafted uh have you been doing anything different for your process this week i know with the dog bowl qualifiers you were kind of front loading 
your entries this week you you can't you you got to sit and wait on your hands until saturday yeah no so i'll, I'll just do my my same analysis that i do of the slate um kind of get my thoughts together and then I'll, I'll certainly have a long flight to uh figure it all out before uh we touch down in miami and get to drafting I'm so excited to see these drafts. I'm really hoping uh, you or somebody in the Deposit Kingdom takes us down. It's it's cool how well represented the the community is. Yeah, it's going to be uh, super fun. There's uh, we had crutches on uh, the club earlier. He has two seats. Copper prices. Another badge row in the Deposit Kingdom has two seats. Uh, and lots and lots of heavy hitters in there. We were kind of hypothesizing today, sacrilegious, on like how unanchored this specific cohort of drafters will probably be to the ADP where you already have the ADP kind of bastardized from the battle Royale six person drafts. And then further from like these sharp players who really know kind of all of the ebbs and flows on how this stuff should work. Yeah. There's a lot of really cool game theory stuff. Um, especially for the people with multiple seats that I'm not sharing right now, but after Miami, I will I'd definitely be happy to, to talk at length about it. Um, I think it'd be really cool. And I do think these really small field, like weekly battle royale contests are kind of an interesting thing. I hope underdog would be willing to potentially do some higher stakes, really small field stuff like this in the future. Um, you know, maybe a three entry max or, or something like that. Um, th there's just some really cool game theory you can do. Um, and it's just room for people that, to, you know, if you, if you know what you're doing as far as strategy, you can really flex and, and get yourself an advantage and, and be a, a profitable player long-term there. So it would be interesting already, to see that as a format. That just got my wheels turning. Cause you know, Gretch, we're in, we're in the chat with Leone and kind of hear some of his thoughts about his Thunderdome play, which is a similar size contest to how big this dog bowl final is, as far as the number of entries and how he thinks through those dynamics. And I was just thinking, how fun would it be if underdog had their own version of the Thunderdome? It's like a one 12 person draft whatever the number is say it's a $2,500 you know it has to be nosebleeds a little bit and then you know we we live stream it with commentary or whatever while everyone's drafting and then you have you could probably only fill one of those you know realistically but it would be promoted and advertised and then I mean that would just be so fun uh both for the drafters and for people to sweat get the real like when money is really on the line where are these going I, I would love that or a price I, point where you get maybe three drafts like like right. this is right I think that would be awesome, though, as just a way to help get more people into BRs, too, because I'll, as someone who was more in the DFS space before um, and having dipped my toe in the water just purely for the dog bowl, purely because of how good the promo was, I realized how much more fun it is to play than like to actually play DFS. Like there's parts of my process where I have fun every week, but like a lot of it is is hard work. Um, and there's still hard work that goes into playing, you know, these draft style games and the BRs, but drafting is so fun, man. So I, I think if, if you were able to showcase that a little bit, maybe have like a, a weekly show or something like that, where you highlight these, the high stakes draft and, and really show how much fun it can be to play daily fantasy in the draft style format. I think that'd be great for the game. You guys are figuring out. Year. Yeah. Yeah. This is a great, um, uh. A great little brainstorming session you two are having. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Well, Gretch, very much appreciate you uh, joining. Uh, and again, we say it on uh, Ship Chasing all the time on our Thursday night shows, but you guys do an awesome job. Uh, I love listening to this uh, every Tuesday morning. And tonight I got a front row seat. I don't have to listen uh, tomorrow. Uh, I got it all here. Uh, you guys do great work. And also, as a, as a little plug, I'm doing a double header here with Sacrilegious. We're doing DFS After Dark. Tried to do it Saturday night. <laughs> my internet uh, crapped out. So we're going to do it right now. And normally my DFS After Dark, I have that just for YouTube members on my channel, making that available to all of you guys here on the Ship Chasing as well. So immediately following this, Sacrilegious and I are going to hop over to a different StreamYard room, fire up that show. Uh, Gretch, you just got... Uh, uh, stealing signals out for the week. I'm sure that feels good. Anything else for people to check out other than watching uh, Washington Huskies highlights on YouTube? Yeah, no, just uh, scout the the Texas Longhorns, watch more Michael Penix highlights. Um, you know, we'll, we'll lay down some more Huskies bets after last week was profitable. You know, all, all the yeah, thank you for that one, by the way. <laughs> it hit. Yeah. It was good. Awesome. Uh, sacrilegious, any other final words here for the people you want to you call your shot in the, uh, in the dog bowl? Don't have any dog bowl shots to call. Just good luck to all the fellow competitors. Uh, as, as Nez has said, excited to meet everyone in Miami and, uh, keep an eye out over at legendary upside. We've got some, honestly, I, I haven't been as excited as I am about some of this playoff content that we're releasing, uh, ever for any of the content that I've had a hand in. So really looking forward to uh, sharing that with all you guys over there. It's awesome. Yeah. And if you guys, uh, you, you've probably seen, but make sure if not, uh, I believe it's even just on the free legendary upside podcast feed, but that first kind of playoff best ball primer uh, that you guys did with Daniel and Kyle Dvorak. Uh, very good. Listen, um, now that the gauntlet is live, we are, I thought we were going to get it next week. I thought they were going to wait for week 14. Everyone gets the regular season payouts. But no, we are already full blast-off mode with the gauntlet. Uh, I'm going to power this down. We are going to hop over and continue this conversation on DFS After Dark. Appreciate you all. Good luck in week 14. And uh, on this channel, we will see you back on Thursday night for the Shipcast. Nez joining us, and we're going to try to save this Bailey Zappi-Mitch Trubisky game. We'll see if we can pull it off. We'll see you then, guys.